So now, we'll go to the Metta uh, Dhamma talk about Metta. And I usually start my talks with reciting the Namo Tassa. And you're welcome to join in three times in Pali. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa In this talk, I'm going to outline the different categories of persons which Venerable Viranyani mentioned this morning in the instructions. But before I go to do that, first I want to say a few words about how we speak about metta, cultivating loving-kindness, and what impact that can have on our practice. And to go into this, I want to read a passage from a discourse found in the Machimanikaya dealing with loving-kindness. The Buddha said, People may speak at the right time or at the wrong time. They may say the truth or not. They may be polite or rude. Their speech may be beneficial or pure nonsense. They may speak with goodwill or with hate and ill will. You should train like this. I will not get upset and angry. I will not utter one malicious word. I will remain, remain friendly, loving and compassionate. And I will meet these people with an open heart, free from aversion and ill will, with a heart open and wide. I will radiate my loving kindness over the whole world. And here in this last line, when the Buddha, when the Buddha said we should be radiating loving kindness over the whole world. So this leads me to how we should speak about metta because we can use words that are either misleading us or directing us in the right way. So this word, I will radiate loving kindness, is a good and um, helpful word. Word. Other good words are to cultivate loving kindness or to develop metta. There are some people out there when talking about metta who use the word to send metta. And when we say I send metta to my mother. This can be very misleading. And also in Burma, often I hear people say metta bode, or um, they would, or Burmese people would say, oh please send me metta, or please send metta to my sick father. Duo metta bo beba. But when we say to send metta to somebody, then this is like we send a letter to somebody or 
sending an email to somebody. Especially with a letter, we write the letter, bring it to the post office, then the next day it's in the letterbox of our friend and the friend takes out the letter and can read it. With an email, it's already a little bit less tangible, but still we can send an email, click the send button, and almost instantly it's in the letterbox of, let's say, our friend, and the friend can open it and read it. And so then, when we say, I send meta to my father, this can lead to the uh, wrong understanding that I must send something, metta, loving-kindness, and my metta practice is only successful when my father gets the metta, like getting a letter or an email. And so it's like when my metta is strong enough and I send it to him, then at one stage he will kind of get this hit of metta, and if that's happened, we are successful. This might be the, a wrong understanding of it. But as Venerable Viranyani and myself have already pointed out, that's not all, that's, that's not like this at all. That's not the way, um, Meta works or how it should be cultivated. So better is to say we cultivate loving kindness or we develop Meta. And also in Burmese there is um, another word for this, Meta Puare. And this is much more leading in the right direction. So, as we have come to understand, when we develop or cultivate metta, we take ourselves or another person as the object of our metta meditation and especially when we take another person or all living beings as the object of our metta meditation, then let's say this other person that we take, the benefactor, like today, this benefactor is just like a helpful tool for us to cultivate the quality of kindness and friendliness in ourselves. So we need a living being. We need an object for uh, the cultivation of metta. But this is only a means so that we can cultivate it in ourselves. So we don't need to send anything out. But with this, I do not want to say that our strong and pure metta has no benefits or effects on other people, other beings. Actually, to the contrary, a person's strong and powerful metta does have effects and uh, sometimes quite amazing benefits on other people, on other living beings. There is no doubt that it affects others. But this is like a natural byproduct of our strong and pure metta. It's just a natural unfolding that our strong, pure metta does affect other people, other living beings.
for example, when we have a fire that produces heat, that's um, the natural quality of fire, it produces heat and the heat is radiated. The fire does not have the intention to send out the heat in all directions. It just happens because that's the nature of a fire. And so if you have a very small fire, then the heat that is radiated is not so big. And let's say if it's cold and we want to warm our hands, we have to go quite close to the fire to feel the heat that is radiated from this small fire. However, if you have a huge fire or a bushfire, um, we are very familiar with this here in Australia, so that produces a lot of heat. And even from quite some distance, um, we feel the radiation of that big fire, the radiation of the heat. And that's just very natural. Or likewise, another example is a jasmine flower has a lovely scent, a very um, nice fragrance. And the jasmine flower does not deliberately send out its fragrance to this direction or that direction, but very naturally because it's the nature of a jasmine flower to have a very nice uh, fragrance, it just pervades the space around uh, the flower. And again, there are some flowers which have a much stronger fragrance, so we might smell it from some distance away. Other flowers' fragrance is maybe not as strong. So then we go a bit closer to smell, to smell it. And so likewise, to the degree that our metta is cultivated and developed in ourselves, it radiates out, it pervades out into the space. We don't have to do it. It just happens naturally by the power of the strong metta. And I want to illustrate this with an example of my teacher, Sayada Ujanaka. Some of you might have heard this story already a few times. But it's such a beautiful story that very clearly... Uh, illustrates a person's uh, strong metta power and how it can affect other people. So in this case, Zayda Ujanaka was in Canada. He had been teaching a retreat in Vancouver. And after the retreat, the organizers took him to a big uh, bookshop in town, Banyan Tree, it was called, because they knew, they had heard that Saido Ujanaka likes books, has great interests in Dhamma books. And previously, and still right now, it was uh, quite difficult to get any English Dhamma books in Burma was almost impossible. And so whenever he traveled abroad, um, he loved to go to bookshops and look at the Dhamma books there. So the organizers took him to the shop and they had uh, chairs there. So he sat down and they brought out all the different Dhamma books, put it in front of him, put them in front of him on the table, and Saito Janaka was sitting there and 
looking through the books. And as he was doing so, a middle-aged woman came into the bookshop and she stood still a little distance away from where Saito Uchanaka was sitting. And see, she was just standing there, Saito looks through his books. And after a little while, the woman approached uh, Sayadaw and said, Excuse me, uh, do you mind if I stand next to do, stand next to you for another little while? And Sayadaw said, Oh, yeah, yeah, if you want to do that, please stand here. And he continued to look through his books, many different ones. And it was quite some time that the woman stood there, and finally she went up to Sayadaw again, and very respectfully, with hands in Anjali, she said, Oh, Sayado, I thank you so much for the peace and happiness that you have given me. You know, I have not been feeling well recently, and I didn't feel well in my body, and my mind uh, was distressed. But now, having stood next to you for this time, I feel much better. I feel much stronger energy has come back and I feel quite happy and peaceful. Thank you so much, Sayado. And almost a bit embarrassed, uh, she left and went out. And after that, Sayado simply continued uh, to look through more books. And then finally, he had chosen the books he wanted. The organizers drove him back to where he was staying. And in the evening, while the organizers were talking to Sayadaw, then he commented on the incident in the bookshop. And he said that this woman's response, saying that she was feeling much better after having stood next to him, that this response was due to Sayadaw's Metta. And he said that he had been cultivating Metta for like 50 years. And so in this time, it really had become so strong, so powerful. It really had become his innate nature. And as we have said, actually, that's our innate nature. We just have to um, polish all the dirt that is covering it. And so once it's uncovered, it's highly cultivated, it just radiates out. Sayadaw didn't have to send it out to do anything, but his whole being is, was um, radiating metta. And so, of course, people not so far from him. No, it's okay, thank you. Um, people can experience it, can feel it, if the necessary sensitivity is there. Once I engaged in a metta retreat, developing only metta for one month. And um, then at one stage, as metta was growing stronger, to me it felt that there was like a metta spring within and First, there was just this little trickle of water coming out of the spring. A little bit of metta. But then, as it got stronger, more and more water came out of the uh, spring. 
and um, later on um, it felt like uh, the water came out gushing from the spring, just this ceaseless or endless uh, stream of uh, water coming out from this stream. Quite a pleasant um, experience. I want to share another little story that illustrates the power of metta. And in this case, it affects or it affected invisible beings, spirits or ghosts, as Bhante Sujiva called them. Bhante Sujiva is a Malaysian monk And at one time, he was practicing meditation by himself out in a forest near Penang in Malaysia. And he lived in a little tent that he had pitched up near a rock slab. And on this rock slab, he paced up and down to do the the walking meditation. And after doing the walking meditation, he would sit down under like an umbrella with a mosquito net coming down, as they use uh, often in Thailand. And when he went to that forest to practice, the owner had told him that there were wild cats living in the area and that he should not be afraid of them at night when they sometimes would be screaming. So telling him that would that he knew that these screams would come from these wild cats. And so on that particular day, he had practiced walking meditation, and as it was getting dark, he sat down under the mosquito net. And he usually started his sitting meditation with some recollection used as a means to uh, strengthen his concentration, to gain some concentration before then going to Vipassana. And in that particular case, he used the recollection of the impurities of the body. So using the 32 parts of the body, hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin, and so on. And as he was doing this, then all of a sudden, the stillness of the night was broken by shrill screams. And the trees were shaking violently. And strange enough, the, str- the screams seemed to come from above, from up the trees. And it was very strange that the trees were shaking violently because there was no wind. It was a windless night. And so he wondered what this might be. And then all of a sudden, his hairs stood on end. And with that, he immediately switched to metta. May all living beings be happy and peaceful. May all living beings be happy and peaceful. May all ghosts be happy and peaceful. May all ghosts be happy and peaceful. And to his big surprise, the screams suddenly stopped, as did the shaking of the trees. And so he thought, okay, I go back to my recollection 
of the 32 parts of the body. Hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, tools, skins. And then all of a sudden, the screams started again, as did the shaking of the trees. And so then he thought, okay, back to metta. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all ghosts be happy and peaceful. And again, after a while, everything went quiet. And so he tried it again, went back to the recollection of the 32 parts of the body. And again, the scream started, the shaking of the trees. So back he went to the metta. And again, with the same result, that all went quiet and was peaceful. And so, by that time, Bhante Sujiva said, he was convinced that it was not the wild cats causing the screams and the shaking of the trees, but that they were ghosts, as he called them, or spirits, invisible beings of whatever kind they might be. And so later then he said that, well, if ghosts um, like Metta, then they should have it and they should be happy um, with that. And then for the rest of the night, he only continued to do Metta meditation. And he had a very calm and peaceful night. So these were two stories which illustrate that even without sending out metta, the power of metta has effects and benefits uh, other beings. It just comes as a natural unfolding of our practice. It's a natural byproduct of our pure and powerful metta. So now, I will talk about these different categories of persons. In the Visuddhimagga, the path of purification, there is a very detailed outline of how we can uh, practice metta, of how we can cultivate it. And so first of all, we develop it towards ourselves as we have done yesterday. That's kind of the starting point. And after that, the first category is the so-called benefactor or respected person. That's what we have been uh, doing today. A person who has benefited us, a person we highly respect because of her or his uh, outstanding qualities or the way they have supported us, helped us. Then the second category is the so-called dear person or a friend. So somebody who is very close to us, a partner, mother, father, grandmother, son, daughter, maybe an aunt or an uncle, a very close friend. That's the second category. The third category is the so-called neutral person. A person we know, but we don't know much about that person. So we don't have any strong, let's say, positive or negative feelings in regard to this person. It's not, we love, it's not somebody we love dearly, but we also don't hate this person. We have no ill will 
towards this person. Then the fourth category is a so-called disliked person or as it is said in the Visuddhimagga, antipathetic person. <laughs> so a person we don't like, we don't get along with this person, maybe a little conflict, a little quarrel. And then sometimes the next or the stronger disliked person is as a, comes as a separate category. That would be the fifth one, like what we would call an enemy or a hostile person. So a person towards whom we really have very strong uh, negative feelings of hatred, of aversion. Sometimes disliked person, enemy, hostile person are all put into the same category. So this is the outline. These are these different categories. And this is a helpful sequence, like a natural unfolding. It goes from the easiest person, the benefactor, to gradually more difficult persons, the disliked person or the outright enemy. And it says that if you would start with the last category, the enemy, the hostile person, and if our loving kindness is not yet strong or powerful, then if you would choose an enemy and start cultivating loving kindness towards him or her, we would very soon up in feeling angry and aversive with no metta in our hearts towards this person. If we try to do it first with a disliked person, a person we don't get along, again, we might easily end up in aversion, ill will. Or if it's not really strong ill will or aversion, but just trying to arouse this feeling of metta uh, can be tiring because we try and try and it's not, it's difficult and we have little aversive thoughts in between. So that's why we should not start with this person. Then we also should not start with the neutral person because we don't have a strong connection to this person. It's kind of neutral. We have seen her in the street, met her, maybe in the shop. So if we try to arouse thoughts of loving kindness, again, it might be tiring. We just try and try and try and the heart is not really opening up with uh, loving kindness. Then the second category, the dear person, a good friend, this might be uh, an easy category, thinking, oh yeah, of course, for my partner, uh, I have lots of metta, or my son, or my mother. But because these persons are so close to us, because we know them so well, the metta could be mixed with tanha, with attachment or with longing, with lust. Or if the son is going through a difficult period or if the mother is sick, then we might uh, feel sad because the sickness of the mother and difficult to really uh, arouse pure metta. So that's also 
that's also these are also reasons why this should not be the first category. And so the benefactor, a respected person, this is the least problematic person because we respect this person and the person is virtuous or manifests patience or kindness or compassion, all these beautiful qualities, naturally the heart is opening up and uh, wishes this person to be happy and well. So as I said, the starting point is ourselves. We start with ourselves because we only know best for ourselves what the deepest wish is in our heart. This wish to be happy, to live at ease and in peace, to be free from danger and enmity. So we know this for ourselves. And then from here, we can go on to others. And whether we want to admit it or not, but we are most dear to us. There is no other person out there who is dearer to us than ourselves. And the Buddha also realized that and uh, confirmed it. In the Udana, there is a passage where the Buddha says, Searching all directions with one's awareness, one finds no one dearer than oneself. In the same way, Others are fiercely dear to themselves. So one should not hurt others if one loves oneself. And this is the Buddha's statement after the king of Kosala, who was a disciple of the Buddha, after he came to him, and told him that in a conversations, conversation with his wife, Queen Malika, they came to the conclusion that there was no one dearer than oneself. And so the Buddha confirmed it. <coughs> so we have this sequence through which we go in our uh, formal metta meditation practice and lastly opening up to all living beings and then there should be no more barriers or all barriers should have been broken down Venerable Viranyani spoke about this breaking down of the barriers yesterday in uh, her talk. So then these four or five categories are no longer kind of categories in which we put people, living beings. Then when all the barriers have broken down, there is no more dear person and no more enemy. So these five categories, they fall away because there is equal meta for every single being in this universe. So there are no more barriers, there are no 
boundaries, that separate beings. And so then the metta is boundless and it becomes abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. In this stock phrase that um, we encounter very often in the discourses, um, this is said in regard uh, to metta, loving kindness. I have already uh, mentioned it, but I want to read it again because it's so important uh, to know this. So, in regard to loving kindness, the Buddha instructs that we live like this. I will abide pervading one quarter with a heart imbued with loving kindness. Likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth. So above and below, around and everywhere and to all as to myself. I will abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a heart imbued with loving-kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill-will. So that's the final goal that we break down all these barriers that we do not classify people anymore into dear people, neutral people, enemies, benefactors, but all people are equal in regard that they deserve our loving kindness. We don't, we do not make any distinctions anymore. And so, to test if all the barriers have been broken down, the Visuddhimagga mentions this test. Imagine you are out somewhere in the forest with three other people. One of them is a dear friend, another is a neutral person, and one of them is your enemy. So you're out there in the forest, maybe you're having a picnic or something together, or just meet there, and then a couple of robbers come along the way, and they say that they want one person from your group of four people. And then you ask the robbers, what do you need this person for? And the robbers say, so that we may kill this person and use the blood of his or her throat as an offering. And one needs to know that at that time to make blood offerings to spirits or ghosts or whatever, was quite a common thing. Sometimes animals were sacrificed and their blood was offered, sometimes human beings. And so the robbers say, now you have to choose one of your group and give to us. And you don't get away with not giving uh, a person to us. So now imagine yourself in this situation and which person would you give to the robbers? Maybe for people who have not uh, cultivated metta, then habitual response would be, ah, I give the enemy the person I don't like. 
robbers, they can take my enemy. Wouldn't be so natural to give away one's dear friend or the benefactor. Or you might think, hmm, my loving kindness is so vast and uh, strong, I myself will give uh, to the robbers. I will make a sacrifice. I will sacrifice myself and spare the other people. So what would you do? And then the Visuddhimagga says, only if you do not give away any of these four persons, neither yourself, can you be said to have broken down the barrier? Only if your metta is equal for all four persons, including yourself, then you can be said to have broken down the barriers. So this would be the ultimate goal. A state where Loving-kindness is so strong that these different categories, dear person, enemy, and so on, that these categories cease to exist. That there would be only human beings, living beings out there, and all deserving your metta equally without reservation, without distinction. Monindra was a person who manifested this strong and pure metta to a great degree. Venerable Viranyani had a great chance to meet him, to be with him. I only heard about him. And as his metta, loving kindness, was highly developed, very strong, and had become his second nature, simply living loving kindness all the time, manifesting it throughout the days in whatever situations he would be in, in whatever he was doing. And this incident happened in the late 1970s when he was visiting uh, the United States, uh, when he was in California. And at that time, a man called Robert was with Monindra and it's Robert's description of Monindra's manifestation of boundless metta, metta without distinction. So Robert uh, said, we used to go over to a lovely park just around the corner from the meditation center. We would, go, we would go there in the morning to exercise. And so one morning, there was a derelict sitting there. And my immediate reaction was, let's stay away from that guy. Monindra, of course, went over, sat down, and started to talk with him about the Dharma. He was really nice to that guy. I was very touched by that. There is no moral to the story other than that Munindra treated him like a person. The man experienced a little laugh from him in his life for a moment. And after that, we went on.
It's good to know such persons like Munindra or to hear about them because they are the living proof that such pure metta is actually possible. I want to end this talk with a quote from the Buddha, again extolling the importance of loving-kindness for the practice of liberation. And after that quote, we sit still for a few moments. Whatever grounds there are for making merit productive of a future birth, all these do not equal one-sixteenth part of the mind release of loving-kindness. And the phrase that I really like is this, the mind release of loving-kindness surpasses them and shines forth. It blazes and is bright and brilliant. And I thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.